What's up? You are listening to another episode of the Niagara Moon podcast. I'm Thomas Irwin. I thought I would uh, try doing another song breakdown where I kind of pick apart the uh, individual components of a Niagara Moon song, kind of explain how I made it, you know, what the, uh, the creative process is like. I made a video for this song a while back, so it was uh, on my mind, and I thought I'd talk more about it today, and that is uh, Culture Loses to the Dollar. It's a song from the first album, Eating Peaches, and uh, like pretty much all the other songs on that album, it uh, first came about sometime in uh, 2015. Yeah, like summer of 2015, so that was uh, when I'd gotten back from living in Japan for a couple of years, and I was back in America for the first time in a while, and I was about to start my senior year of high school. Pfft, high school, I mean college, senior year of college. And uh, right before that was going to begin, I thought I would take a trip to the Pacific Northwest, um, since I already kind of had on my mind where did I want to go after I was done with college, if I wanted to re relocate, and I was kind of interested in that area, and Seattle and Portland. Um, I didn't have much to go on as to why that area interested me, I guess, but uh, just seemed like a lot was happening musically and culturally. There was kind of some zeitgeist going on, maybe. So I, uh, I use Couchsurfing, which is a website where you can stay with people for free, uh, <laughs> that's pretty cool, and um, yeah, I guess it's kind of like Airbnb, but the, uh, the host is still living there, uh, but uh, no, it's cool because I, when I travel, I like to just make friends and hang out with uh, people who are local to that area and kind of see the area from their perspective, I don't like to do tourist stuff as much, just, the, just sightseeing. Uh, by myself or whatever. So I used Couchsurfing. I found some hosts in Vancouver, Canada, and then in Seattle and in uh, Portland. I stayed with a buddy of mine, actually. But So I went to this, this area. I went to these three cities, and particularly Vancouver. A lot of people are freaking out over there because of how insanely expensive everything is getting, particularly housing. And um, it just uh, doesn't seem like there's any reverence for the way things used to be, the old neighborhoods. You know, everything is uh, getting demolished, and then they set up uh, luxury apartments or luxury condos, half of which don't seem to be occupied anyway. But um, just a bunch of really tacky, sort of soulless corporate architecture and um, just any kind of uh, metropolitan area that maybe had some sort of appeal, some cultural appeal. It's just uh, getting lost um, in the face of the new economy. I don't pretend to really have an understanding of the specifics of any, but just as somebody who was visiting, um, particularly Vancouver and Seattle, this was going on. It's, uh, you just see the same sort of pattern play out and a sort of demographic of people move in and a sort of other demogra dem blah, 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 demographic of people move out, you know, especially anybody who uh, has an interest in the arts. So that kind of, it's kind of a bummer. And I think 
you could say the same phenomenon is going on in most cities in the country at this point. Uh, definitely saw it when I visited uh, San Francisco a year prior. So, you know, I finished up my, uh, my little vacation over there, and this was just something on my mind, the idea that uh, nothing is held dear in the face of just these high economic machinations. And I was also very much a fan of uh, Father John Misty at the time, a particular uh, indie artist. I'm still kind of into him, but I was really into him uh, at that time. And he mixes kind of this cynical, sardonic, maybe almost kind of bitter outlook uh, with humor. Um, he packages it in kind of a, an interesting comedic way, this sort of uh, perspective. And his influence was definitely floating around in my head around the same time. The chorus to this song literally just popped into my head, almost fully formed as I was coming out of the shower. And that's not the first time I get the main idea of a song as I'm like toweling myself off. I don't know what it is about that moment. But just that that phrase came, the baby boomer fever dream. It's a little on the nose, maybe a little uh, overly simplistic, but I thought it had a nice ring to it. It was kind of catchy. And I wanted to do something with that. I immediately knew I could flesh that out into a whole song. So I kind of tabled it in my mind for a little while since I was working on other stuff. But then um, a few days later when I was uh, just twinkling around on the piano, the uh, verse more or less popped out at me. Yeah, fully formed. I think I, I got that all down in about 15, 20 minutes. It's a pretty short song after all. But um, that was uh, more autobiographical, I guess. You know, this idea if I'm going to be moving out to a city soon and uh, seeing what my prospects are and kind of getting a lay of the land. So that was the whole space the uh, the song occupied. And at this point, just to clarify, writing the song really means I write the lyrics down somewhere and I, within a few notes, kind of understand how I'm going to sing it. And I know what the uh, piano chords are that I'm playing. I can write that out. So E, F-sharp minor, A, or whatever. I think in this case the song is in B-flat. I don't quite remember. At this time, I was working on a few songs at once that I uh, intended all to eventually be on the same album. And kind of a benefit of doing that is you know ahead of time, this song is in this style and this sort of tempo. This song has this other kind of feel. Um, I knew I wanted more up-tempo songs. I wanted songs that were more lively, maybe danceable if uh, someone who danced listened to them. And I liked the idea of doing like a fake reggae vibe for this song. Uh, something more kind of upbeat to match the, uh, the overly dour lyrics. I like that combination of, um, yeah, lively melody and a lively rhythm with kind of uh, sourpuss lyrical content. And um, one song in particular that really uh, meshed well for me that I definitely used as a reference 
was uh, Mother and Child Reunion by Paul Simon. If you listen to that song, it's, uh, it's early 70s, maybe like 1970, and it's before reggae was particularly famous or mainstream. It kind of um, is like proto-reggae. It's, it's not quite reggae, but that's also kind of the first genre that comes into your mind when you listen to it. So it's kind of like fake reggae. I don't know. It's, it's uh, a bunch of white guys not from Jamaica playing what they approximate to be that kind of music and it ends up having its own sort of feel to it. The band The Police kind of also come to mind when I'm thinking of examples, but they're a lot more gifted at uh, playing that kind of music. I knew if I approached the song as a reggae song, my very limited understanding of what that means, that I I would get this fake reggae kind of uh, effect or uh, result at the end. So that's kind of the the mindset I had as I started to decide what instruments were going to be in the song and how I was going to program the drums since I was not working with a, uh, an actual drummer at the time. And again, this is pretty much how most of my songs come together at this point is I get the core of melody, lyrics, and uh, chord progressions. I get that all decided just kind of in my mind or on a piece of paper. And then I decide uh, the rhythm and uh, the instrumentation and everything else I uh, sort of implement half-consciously on the computer after I've decided the concept of the song. That's sort of how that goes down. So a song like this, it's got to start with drums. I'm not going to be able to record anything else. I'm not going to be able to lay anything else down until I know what the groove is. You know, I pick the tempo and all that. So using a mother and child reunion as my guide, I tried to sort of replicate what was going on in that song with my, uh, my little MIDI drums in Ableton. So we started with the kick. <laughs> kind of almost sounds like uh, rave music <laughs> when you hear it by itself. I think it might be doing one other pattern at a different point in the song, but that was kind of my own crude approximation of the rhythm I was looking for was just uh, was that beat and I think I took two different um, drum machine samples from a, a pack I downloaded and I put two of them together to get a new sounding sort of kick. That's a, a strategy I use pretty often is um, when you're unsatisfied with the, uh, the sound of one source you mix it with something else to, uh, to get a new sound that's original and maybe has a little more oomph to it. That's kind of the best way I can uh, verbalize that. So what comes after kick is you got your snare. But in this case, I didn't want a really punchy snare or something snappy or thuddy. Uh, I wanted something that resembled what happens when you uh, do a rim shot. You hit, like, the rim of the snare, the outer edge. So I, uh, I just found some drum machine rim shot sample, or again, maybe I, I mixed two together. I put some weird spatial effect on it, some like, uh, some really short delay to get sort of this quirky robotic 80s feel. And uh, this is the sound I came up with.
So again, a really simple rhythm, but at this point I figured there were going to be a lot of different layers going on at once and a lot of different moving parts in the song, so I figured it was okay to start with something simple. Uh, I was getting a little more playful at this point, and I thought I would put in bongos. Pretty weird to hear it by itself, but when I put that element in the song, it gave me more of this particular kind of drive I was looking for. And next, I wanted something that was kind of bright and hissy to start to fill out more of the, uh, the spectrum. So that would be hi-hat in this case. Well, you got a little crash cymbal in there too. Again, these are all samples, as in they're just all waveforms that I downloaded somewhere from the internet. Um, there's samples from old drum machines. That was the, uh, the whole vibe I was going for. So as you might imagine, I had all these rhythmic components together, but it still sounded really stiff because everything is just firmly on the, uh, the one, the two, the three, the four for the most part. Again, I'm, I'm terrible with drum terminology and uh, any kind of theory with that. I, I just, I, I put things together in a program and just see how it sounds. That's kind of the extent of it. Do a lot of guesswork. But what I had done on the song Eating Peaches and what I thought would work again well here is putting a actual drum loop or like a percussion loop, part, part of a, uh, a song, a different, like a totally different song, putting a loop of that over my, uh, my drum machine parts to give it some extra kind of dimension to, uh, to the rhythm. So we have... I'll be damned if I remember where that sample came from, what song, I don't know. It's all just, it's all samples from the internet. Uh, so that that one helped. I call that light loop because it's it's still very uh, bright. It has a lot of treble frequencies. And I found one more loop that really took it over the top. It was exactly what the rest of the song needed. And, you know, it's not like I just found that loop and just dropped it in exactly that way and didn't do anything else and didn't put any uh, other creativity into it. I, uh, I definitely chopped up the waveform, kind of moved the, uh, the beat around to fit my arrangement better, and um, I added a gated reverb effect, again, going with this sort of 80s uh, premise. And so now, because you probably forgotten about all these different drum parts I've mentioned. Um, this is how they all uh, ultimately mix together. I'll play a little bit of that. So it starts to make a little more sense when you put it all together. You know, and I hear this and I think, great, it's time for the bass line. 
this is ready for me to, uh, to play bass to. And I struggled with the bass line for this song, composing it and recording it, because I'm not an especially uh, gifted um, bass player, certainly not uh, technically speaking. My uh, rhythmic sense is pretty limited, but, you know, reggae really calls for uh, nimble fingers and for some creative interplay with the drums, so... I went for catchy, basically. I, I uh, tried to come up with a line that was melodically fun and, uh, you know, still had some bounciness to it. And I, I was, <clears throat> excuse me, I was pretty happy with the results. So, you know, that's a super simple line. It's like three notes, but... You know, it feels like it's going somewhere. You, you want to know what happens in the rest of the song. I feel like it, it builds up towards something interesting. I branched out a little more rhythmically in the chorus. I did my, you know, very poor man's interpretation of uh, the sort of bass line you'd hear in a Graceland song. Again, Paul Simon. Um, but the, needless to say, there's some amazing musicianship on, uh, on the Graceland album in several of the songs. The bass lines are very, very groundbreaking and, and very interesting. I forget the name of the uh, particular bassist that's featured on that album. I forget if he's from maybe South Africa, some, some region near there. Uh, but it was something you had not heard in Western music before, especially Western pop music. And I can't even come close to whatever they're doing with that, but I simply just used it as a reference and a, a direction to go in. And what I got was... I'd like to think I could play a more nuanced baseline at this point since I've had more years of practice, but I guess it did the job. Um, kind of a side note, the way I always record bass, bass guitar, I always do DI, direct input from, from the instrument into the computer. I don't mess around with any amps. I don't know how to. I, I like the sound of uh, a clean, untampered, bass signal just all by itself usually i mean it's it's not like i'm doing rock music so anyway the bass came together the drums are together in my mind the next thing that comes is the keyboard i'm not a guitar player so i'm always going to be keyboard based that's that's where i uh it's where i look to fill in the main um you know melodic content of the song besides the uh the, the vocals and I was in a pickle with this one because I didn't want a lot of long chords. I wanted something that was still moving, that was still driving, and I didn't want I didn't want it to be too repetitive at the same time or too jingly. I didn't know if I wanted to pick an electric piano sound, 
if I wanted to pick a, more of a typical piano sound, if I wanted to mess around with organ more. I, uh, I didn't really have any experience before trying to make this kind of arrangement. And what I decided I'd do is have all three of those. I'd have electric piano, piano, and organ kind of like playing off each other as if there were like several different musicians, several different keyboardists playing at the same time. So I'd, I'd play one hit with one instrument and then um, overdub later the next one. And I, I got this sort of interplay that I thought was pretty interesting. So, you know, again, nothing complicated going on here, but uh, threw in the piano next. So starting to sound a little ska-like, maybe, you know, or at least like obla-di, obla-da level. It's playful. So then uh, here comes the organ. And I don't know if you can hear it here, but there's a little slapback delay, just a really quick echo. Uh, I, I love it. I put it on anything I can. And so here's what all three of those keyboard components sound like together. So that's pretty funky, right? It's kind of like, like a gallop. So I was, I was pretty excited about pulling that off. So I caved into the idea at this point that uh, it would be good to get some guitar on the song. And I decided both electric guitar to give the, uh, the arrangement a little bit more of a sharp edge, uh, you know, another hook to throw in there and give it um, some more aggression and uh, as well as an acoustic guitar to just sort of pad out the rest of the sound and make it feel more full and do as much as I can to uh, sonically disguise the fact it's just all, you know, a dude in a room with a, with a computer. Um, so I found somebody, I think through Craigslist probably, a guy named Hope who uh, was nice enough to um, come in and record both those parts he was down to um, to try some some session work, uh, do some home recording. So he brought a very very cheap electric guitar, like it was like half broken, I think. But I was like, no, let's let's go with a cheap, you know, almost kind of chintzy sound. I for whatever reason the the novelty of that, I, I thought it would work with this. We could we could just squeak by, and uh, <laughs> I like that kind of weird sort of cutesy tone uh, we got with that. So there's another one of these, uh, what I would consider fake reggae songs out there, this kind of white guy appropriated reggae. Um, there's a John Lennon song called Borrowed Time, and I think it ultimately was only half finished uh, before his very untimely death in 1980. But it's uh, it has a similar vibe that I'm going for, vaguely Caribbean, and the way that song begins and the guitar in that song and the echo and everything, if if you go back and listen to it, it's uh, it's an obvious in- inspiration for how I wanted to um, kick off my song. So 
To get it closer to that sound, I put uh, some more effects on the guitar, some delay, probably some reverb too, and uh, I got this. So I'm getting more and more of this bouncy rhythmic effect, just something that makes you kind of bouncing your seat. And I, I was really happy about that. I knew the, uh, the song would come together pretty quickly at this point, the rest of it. What you've been hearing is the, uh, the intro into the verses guitar part. And I wanted to do something a little different for the chorus, uh, change the sound up a bit. It's still his super janky, cheap guitar. But, you know, we're, we're, for what we needed it for, it did the job. It, it didn't have to uh, stick out too much. I must have done a lot of editing afterwards to, to cut out most of the uh, signal that was recorded and just get the very beginning of each hit. Um, and that gave it more of a, a cool sampled feel anyway, so that worked out. Uh, we also had the acoustic guitar. It was not quite as janky as the electric guitar, so I let that do its thing a little more and sound natural. Um, and that's going on in the verses. I doubled it because I double, you know, almost any instrument I can. It just sounds fuller to me that way. But here's what that sounds like. So here's where we're at in the mix now. I will play uh, all the instruments I've mentioned up until now. I'll play uh, a mix of all of them together. So maybe... You know, still sort of janky, sort of cheap sounding overall, but it, it gave it a certain character, and I was I was pretty happy w with uh, how the backing track was at this point. Um, there's these build-up moments before each chorus that I wanted to give more oomph to, so uh, we recorded what I call power guitar, some some uh, power chords such as. It's almost what kind of like a, a child's idea is of like, like really commanding, powerful guitar sound. But, or at least that's how it was in my mind. But again, it was it was working for the uh, the arrangement of the song, and it gave the uh, the part of the song where I'm singing about the man or whatever. It, it gave that some more some more oomph, some gusto. So I like that. But the guitar by itself still sounded a little naked, so I went back. And I found a very 80s power synth to uh, mix in with it. Mm -hmm. 
And uh, just to give you the full effect, let's hear both of those instruments together. All right, so I had my virtual band at this point. I had keyboard parts, bass parts, drums, guitar. You know, vocals were uh, right around the corner, but I decided one more element to throw in should be trumpet. So just to give it this uh, fake Caribbean reggae ska, you know, go all out and, and just give it a little more of that vibe. So I was going to UMass, Amherst at the time, senior year, somehow, uh, I think probably through putting up flyers, I connected with a trumpet player, very nice guy named Brian. We met uh, on campus once or twice to kind of talk about what we would, uh, what we'd, would do together. I wrote out a uh, trumpet part on my MIDI keyboard using, you know, fake software trumpet sound, but I gave it to him and uh, he nailed it. And he even, like, played in harmony with himself. It turned out really cool. So that's what this is like. I just get a kick out of hearing that. Um, yeah, I was really happy with uh, what that did to just put the arrangement of the song over the top and wrapped up vocals uh, probably the same week. Again, this was all recorded at um, the sound booths at the UMass Library. Those were very handy to have, an awesome resource. So I just get in this little soundproof uh acoustically treated booth and uh, try to do the vocals as, as best as I could. I try to be strong, but there's something that's pushing me backward. Some kind of invisible force with no name. It helps, uh, you know, when you can give your voice that reverb echoey effect that just makes it sound more like it's somebody else singing. Um, oh, I almost forgot there is one last component to this song that is one of my favorites. Um, I got the singer from Nothing Is Coming From Me, or at least one of them, uh, Laura. She came back to sing uh, background vocals during the, the chorus and um, some, some ooze, some smooth harmony during uh, one of the verses. Again, just like the trumpet, it just it gave an extra dimension, some extra character to this song that had it turn out better than I would have hoped. Um, yeah, I'd love to hear uh, some of her vocals uh, soloed. Help, I'm caught in a baby boomer fever dream And they didn't leave a thing for me Now the man's gonna tear this down Yes, the man's gonna tear this whole thing down And they always do it on my dime Ooh. And here's our two voices together. 
Help, I'm caught in a baby boomer fever dream And it's hard to think what might have been By the way, if you've been hearing a squeaking sound in the background while I'm talking the whole time, I apologize for that. And you're not crazy. It's this uh, this chair I'm sitting in is apparently very squeaky. I'll try not to sit in it uh, next time I record an episode at the uh, at the studio where I record vocals. I'm uh, I'm away from home right now. Uh, change pace there. Anyway, we're uh, we're just about done with the uh, episode for this week. I will um, I'll leave you off by uh, just playing the song in its entirety, and uh, maybe you'll hear it in a new way now. So thanks for listening. I hope you find these things uh, fun to listen to. They're kind of an interesting practice for me. And uh, hopefully I will have another episode after this as well. I'll keep the the train rolling again since um, we were on vacation for a very long time in Japan. I'll talk more about that later too. So yeah, have a good week. See you later. i